Hi, I'm Arsha. And I'm Amy. This is Blood Tide, a mother-daughter storytelling podcast. Welcome back, BT buddies. started, I just want to share that I was so surprised at the trajectory the story takes. (laughs) (laughs) The first sentence. Given this story is about female doctors, I had a preconceived notion about their persona, their passions and lives. That was your first mistake, mom. I know I was, I was putting them into a box. Let's first learn about the Blackwell family. After coming to America, the family initially settled in Manhattan. Samuel Blackwell worked in the sugar trade and ran highly combustible refineries processing raw sugar from the Caribbean. What an interesting job. I know. I, don't I wonder know how you if get they involved like in that. Ate sugary things all the time. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. His first facility was in Bristol where the where the sisters were born in England, but it was destroyed by a fire. And I think because it was a highly combustible kind of activity, I mm-hmm. think that's not un, unexpected. So they came when they came to New York, he opened up his second facility on Duane Street, and it would meet that same fate. I think that 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 manufacturing process was a bit tricky, and they weren't um, entirely like sure about like yeah. safety protocols right they probably stuff. didn't have safety protocols, yeah. yeah while the sugar industry relied heavily on slave labor, Samuel was an abolitionist, and his daughters Elizabeth and Emily gave up sugar in their tea to protest slavery. So no, hmm. they didn't they use partake in sugar. Right. But yet it was okay to get money from that, but don't, don't eat sugar. Samuel and the elder Blackwells were English dissenters with their religious ideals coming through in their abolitionism, but also in domestic thrift, moral zealotry, and a commitment to their children's education. There were five girls and four boys. They regularly attended worship services and met many like-minded citizens, including Henry Ward Beecher and Harriet Beecher Stowe. They even attended the Unitarian Society, which was a church related to transcendentalism. This reformist outlook was passed on to the Blackwell children, as well as their parents' moral seriousness and social daring. Some of the Blackwell girls attended feminist lectures and engaged with other people, such as the Grimke sisters, Lord Byron's widow, and George Eliot, though none of the sisters ever married. On the other hand, the boys, they were also reformist, and they did marry some interesting women. One of them married Antoinette Brown, who was the first female ordained minister in the U.S., another first. Mm-hmm. And some another son married suffragist Lucy Stone, who was one of the first American women to earn a college degree and the first one on record to keep her maiden name. Apparently, there were more than 200,000 pages of family writings that survived, from letters, diaries, speeches. But there was, in all of that documentation, there was nothing that really explained why Elizabeth and Emily went into medicine. But we did read that Elizabeth observed her father's death from complications likely of malaria. 
She was only 17 and she was documenting, tracking his pulse and breathing measurements in her journal, along with the amount of brandy, broth, and laudlum he was spoon fed in his final days. So she was a little interested in like his progression. Yeah, I think she was a little bit interested in that. With little money left behind by their father, the Blackwell family needed to work. Elizabeth started her career as a school teacher, but eventually a sick female friend influenced Elizabeth's interest in entering medicine. If I could have been treated by a lady doctor, my worst sufferings would have been spared, was what her friend was quoted as saying. And this was an intellectual challenge that Elizabeth would win. But candidly, in Elizabeth's autobiography published in 1895, she revealed, quote, I hated everything connected with the body and could not bear the sight of a medical book. I had been always foolishly ashamed of any form of illness. Unquote. What a weird quote. Yeah. At 26, Elizabeth had apprenticed under two physicians and been rejected by more than a dozen medical colleges. Geneva Medical College was the only school to admit her. Her only acceptance letter from this Episcopal school in upstate New York from 1847 read, quote, that one of the radical principles of a Republican government is the universal education of both sexes. That to every brand of scientific education, the door should be open equally to all. That the application of Elizabeth Blackwell to become a member of our class meets our entire approbation, and in extending our unanimous invitation, we pledge ourselves that no conduct of ours shall cause her to regret her attendance at this institution, unquote. Basically, it was the entire medical class of the school that voted to admit her because the faculty rejected her. And someone provided a recommendation for her to the school, and I guess the school didn't want to offend that person. Perhaps it was a reputation or funding were involved. Yeah, they the library was named after them. <laughs> Maybe. Regardless of why she was admitted, Elizabeth was eager to start her first fall term of school, even lagging behind her male peers a few weeks. Why didn't she start like the same time as them? I don't know. I didn't find a reason. I mean, right from the start, she was disadvantaged. She was already disadvantaged being the only woman, but yeah, then... Yeah, she probably didn't receive similar education to them at all. Right. And they probably did that on purpose. Yeah. To say, oh, like, we gave you the ability and, and you're not able you to graduate, so that's on you. Right. Back when Elizabeth was in medical school, it only took two years to earn an MD. Man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> we could become a, We could both become doctors. Yeah. Life at medical school was neither easy nor encouraging for Elizabeth. Two years. I really wonder what they learned in those two years. Well, you have to remember they didn't have the same knowledge, advances, technology, and tools. I know. But, man, the human body is very complicated. You think that they even knew that back then. But they maybe they just didn't know. So they they like, didn't know. we know. They didn't know what they didn't know. Yeah. Know. And they did what they did. Right. Like it's a, it's pra like practice. It's a practice. It's They're a practicing. practice. Yes. Right. Townspeople followed her around, intrigued by this woman doctor. <laughs> Were they like following her when she's going to the bakery in the library? Yeah, that's what they said. We're like, oh my gosh. It reminds me of like from Beauty and the Beast, Belle, when she'd walk around town because she's the only one who read. They all like sang songs about her, how weird she was. Peculiar girl. Right. That's what they were thinking about yeah. Elizabeth. Students disparaged her, right? All the all male students said things to her. And she was even included in medical journals as some new disease, women becoming doctors, a disease. What? 
Oh my God, they need to explain a reason. It's a disease. Women want to do more than laundry. Right. I mean, this is what happens when you're the first. Yeah, I know. These pioneering sisters were especially mocked by the British humor magazine Punch. First, they congratulated Elizabeth for, quote, qualifying herself for that very important duty of a good wife, tending a husband in sickness, unquote. This was followed by a mocking poem titled An M.D. in a Gown. And even her sister was belittled by that magazine where they had a cartoon of her treating a dog. Maybe they need to think about the name of their magazine. Punch? It's not a good name. Yeah, a thousand percent. They were total... A-holes. A-holes, yeah. Emily's journey at medical school came four years after Elizabeth earned her degree. Geneva rejected Emily and stopped admitting female students. Like, man, the other sister did it. We can't let another one in. (laughs) Exactly. So instead, Emily attended Rush Medical College in Chicago for one year until the school decided that that they would ban admitting female students should also include getting rid of the one currently enrolled. So after they enrolled her, they had a ban on anyone new. And then they're like, you know what? We're just going to extend it to her, too. I wonder if her credit's, like, transferred. I don't know, but it couldn't have been easy. So yeah. she she moved to medical to Cleveland Medical College and graduated on February of 1854. And she had one female classmate who graduated with her. Wow. And after all the effort to get admitted to medical school and endure all the belittling, belittling while in school... Now the sisters were still plagued by discrimination and finding a job as a physician. Yeah, they're probably going to have to open up their own practice. Yep. Elizabeth secured employment at Philadelphia's Blockley Almshouse to attend to the indigent and mentally ill. Okay. They're like, that's what you can take care of. Right. And that was probably horrible back then. It was was most definitely horrible back then. The conditions and everything. Everything. After one summer there... She moved on to working yeah. in obstetrics at La Maternité in Paris, and then on to studying surgery at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London. Why'd she leave Paris? I don't know, but she left Philly. She, she went to Europe. It was she so- was like, I'm going to get out of here. It was so not, not her cup of tea. And she was born in England, so maybe she was looking for a change of scenery and perspective also to go back. Yeah, it seems like they bounced around a lot, like from yeah. place to place. I think they were bi-continent, right? Instead of bi-coastal, like some people are, they were bi-continent. Must be nice. It must be nice. Emily's path was also difficult. She was able to attend lectures and observe operations at Bellevue Hospital, New York. And afterwards, she also went abroad to Scotland, where she was able to learn with James Simpson, the Queen's physician. Hmm. I wonder how she got that gig. While training with James, he was a professor at the University of Edinburgh. She worked in the university's growing obstetrics practice and particippated in early experiments with chloroform and ether. What? That must have the been interesting. The things that they're doing, <laughs> mentally ill patients experimenting with chloroform. <laughs> and then Marie Blackwell, a cousin to Emily, was treated by Simpson for infertility. Oh, and, I didn't know they treated infertility back Oh, then. wait till you hear how they treated infertility oh, back then. I bet then. it's going to be amazing. <laughs> the story's just, it's a common, brutal practice of using a metrotome device, which is like a switchblade. Oh, I was like, a metro, like metronome? Nope. Not, I thought it was metronome too at first. I'm like, click, 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 click. Yeah, nope. Just get it in rhythm. Right. No, no. A switchblade? A switchblade. They would put it into the woman's 
cervix and press a handle and it would cut one side of the cervix. And then they would take it out and put it back in, reinsert it and on the other side and cut the cervix the other side to make it bigger. That's what they were doing for infertility treatment. Yeah. Wow. Must have sucked to be sick or need any real help in medicine back then. Yeah. So that's the two years it took to go to school because there wasn't a lot to do. I mean, I don't know really anything about like medicine, the human body, but that just sounds the going inside and cutting something that you need to make a baby. So it took, it took Marie about a year to recover from that. Jesus. And Emily tended to her diligently every day. Because she knew what she did was bonkers. Well, I don't know that she did that. I, I think she was present when it happened. But her cousin suffered bouts of inflammation. Not surprising. Yeah. Periotinitis, overitis, and painful mouth sores from the mercury in the drugs they prescribed to her. Gee, she's worse. After treating her for a year, Emily emerged as a confident physician ready to work on her own. Right? She. I mean, what What did she do? She didn't do anything to treat her. There she was saw nothing. a lot of things and tried to help someone for over a year. Okay. So now they, she knows. Yeah. I mean, we have to realize this time in medicine predated antibiotics, antiseptics, no thermometers. It was lacking at best and brutal at worst. I read the perspective of the time was better out than in. Leeches were used. They did all kinds of invasive cutting. It's just horrible to think about. Yeah, they used to like bleed you too. Right. right? Better out than in. The sisters didn't share that perspective. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not better out. I don't know. I kind of want my blood. So Elizabeth is quoted as saying, medicine is always an evil, though sometimes a necessary evil. Man, I do not want these people to be my doctors. <laughs> it's evil. Okay. Elizabeth herself was not spared the better out than in treatment. While administering to a newborn, she was exposed to gonorrheal conjunctivitis. Oh my gosh, because they probably didn't know about like washing your hands and wearing like proper stuff. Oh gosh. For three weeks, her, oh my gosh. her eyelids were cauterized. Oh my gosh. Her temples leached. Mercury, which is poisonous, right, was applied to her forehead and rubbing ointments of belladonna and opium were used on her. My gosh. That must have been miserable. Was she even even able to like, I can't even talk, it's so bad. I mean, what the heck? I don't know how she functioned. I don't think that she could have functioned during that time. But the result from better out than in treatment, she only gained sight in one eye, in her right eye, and had a glass eye for her left eye. All of that, and that was the outcome. I, I, I really wonder what the outcome would have been if they would have just left it alone. I don't know. Like, I don't... My gosh. Despite this horrific treatment experience and outcome, Elizabeth and Emily opened the New York Infirmary for Indigent Women and Children in 1857. With three eyes. <laughs> Treatments range from hydrotherapy and hygienic cures. Basically teaching bathing and sanitation routines. Just what you said, Amy, our favorite topic of discussion, which reminds me back to 
The U.S. Sanitary Commission started in June of 1861 to provide a preventative, hygienic, and sanitary service for the benefit of our Army. And that came from our Civil War Female Fighters episode. Yes. If you want to learn more, check out episode nine, wherever you listen to the podcast. And Amy, you're going to like this part. In fact, Emily Blackwell helped in the creation of that sanitary commission. It's all more hand washing. <laughs> As expected, these women doctors promoting novel ways to practice medicine continued to be belittled and criticized. Today, we can easily understand the need to wash your hands, which the sisters were promoting and they were mocked for. Yeah, she lost a freaking eye. Yeah. Back then, doctors went from the morgue to the maternity ward with unwashed hands. Gross. It's hard to imagine physicians not feeling the need to wash their hands between patient visits. Even back then, like just in general, that people don't didn't feel the need to wash their hands. I just don't hands. understand. Even if you didn't think that, like, disease could spread. Like, I feel like the morgue, like, that, the, like, didn't, I don't know. Didn't your hands feel dirty or you felt like there was something from the deceased body that you wanted to get off of you? Right. Just for your own personal. Right. Just, like, not even about the woman you're about to go deliver her baby, but, ugh. I can't believe, well, actually, I think disease did spread fast back then. So the Blackwell doctors were doing the right thing, but nobody else at the time realized it. Yet the sisters persevered and grew their practice. They were able to treat almost a thousand patients during the infirmary's first year, including performing dozens of surgeries and giving lectures and training on public health and washing. Sometimes, though, we assume thought leaders are driven by altruistic motives and love every aspect of their work. That's an incorrect assumption in the case of the Blackwell sisters. I read that Elizabeth, in fact, took a critical eye towards her patients. Their poverty and promiscuity were inexcusable and their diseases a moral failing in her eyes. While being on the forefront for personal hygiene and sanitation, Elizabeth opposed contraception and rallied against vaccinations. While the Blackwell sisters did not go out of their way to support other women seeking medical degrees, they were more motivated by financial benefit, and they eventually added a female college to their infirmary. Wow, it's kind of hard to believe that they didn't, like, they were disgusted by their patients, but they still were willing to, you know, financially gain from any of them. I think it was also an intellectual challenge, and that that's what they had grown up with, and yeah, that's what they were thinking about. When Elizabeth returned from learning and working in Europe, patients didn't exactly flock to her door. Wealthier women associated a female physician with a back alley abortionist, which Elizabeth was totally against and was not. Nonetheless, these women clearly weren't going to Elizabeth for treatment. And of course, men didn't recognize the female doctor. So it was out of necessity that they opened their own clinic to treat poor women who really didn't have a choice in medical care. The charitable institution that they started was able to legitimize the sisters as physicians by the wealthier patrons who could see the work they were doing without having to be directly treated by them. And so it helped, it helped their, it helped grow their practice. It helped legitimize them as doctors. It's a bit baffling Elizabeth's outright rejection of suffragists. I read an unsettling quote from her that went, Women are feeble, narrow, frivolous at present, ignorant of their own capacities and undeveloped in thought and feeling. 
the exclusion and constraint women suffers is not the result of purposed injury or premeditated insult. It has arisen naturally without violence, simply because women have desired nothing more. Well, man, you th- I mean, that's how would what, she feel if somebody said that about her and what right. she was trying to do? That's why I said at the beginning what I did in the opening. She did actually believe what she wrote and she practiced it too. She was vehemently judgmental of her brother's marriages to feminists. She was first friends with Florence Nightingale and later then highly critical of her and and they had a falling out. And she looked down on nursing and also at Dorothea Dix, who orchestrated the entire medical care of Union soldiers during the Civil War. Despite Elizabeth's abrasive, serious, and stern outlook, Emily was actually the more skilled practicing physician. She kept the infirmary running decades after her sister left in 1869, and Emily worked as a doctor until her 73rd birthday when she closed the Women's Medical College in 1898. She raised an adoptive daughter and lived the balance of her life with Elizabeth Cushier, an obstetrician trained at the Blackwell College. Elizabeth Blackwell retired from medical practice and focused on supporting many of the reform movements of the time in England. She took up causes against social evils like prostitution and contraception. She worked to advance morality, sexual purity, hygiene, medical education, preventative medicine, sanitation, family planning, and medical ethics. For the rest of her life, Elizabeth focused on evangelical moral reform. During this time, unmarried and alone, she adopted a daughter. But calling her a daughter might not really be accurate, from what I read. The girl was somewhat of an unpaid domestic servant, made to address Elizabeth as Dr. Elizabeth, and was prevented for personal or professional desires, including marrying. Wow. Both sisters died in 1910. Emily passed away September 7th at the age of 83 and Elizabeth on May 31st at the age of 89. I wonder if they died close together because like Elizabeth was upset about Emily passing. I mean, because 83, 89. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't think they lived. I think oh, they didn't have, they didn't live together or it's near It's kind of weird. Other. They died the same year. It is weird. So it's a bit disheartening to hear the story of these pioneering sisters. Their lack of support of other women or of the women's movement may be the reason they aren't more fondly remembered. Whether with altruistic intentions or not, they did advance medicine, treated thousands of women, and were our first female American physicians, unintentionally paving the way for more women to be doctors. And their infirmary, which was the first hospital entirely staffed by women and served as a rigorous medical training college just for women, has lasted all this time and today is part of the New York Presbyterian Hospital. If you want to learn more about the Blackwell sisters, check out the book by archival researcher Janice Namura, The Doctors Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I can't believe that they did all that faced all that discrimination and then they were not for helping just because they thought those beliefs were wrong you think that they would be more open because they were doctors like and all the women that they did see too and that with the poor women coming to like be more open to different like people may do certain things because of how their way of life or what they have to do to survive i just can't believe they weren't more open-minded 
at the end. I, I can't believe that either. And that's what I was sharing. But we have to remember that everyone has just, you know, everyone has their own perspective, right? And yeah, yeah, it was it was just not what I expected. Yeah, it was interesting. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate all your support and join us September 15th for another episode. Until then, be social and join the BT Buddies by following us on Instagram at Blood Tide Podcast, Twitter at Blood Tide Stories, or email at Blood Tide Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.